It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Let's not return to the dark ages. Michael Shermer. So what I'm arguing is that in the long run, it's science and reason debunking bad ideas. You know, Jews do not uh, poison wells. Their women are not too weak-willed and emotional to run a country. Think of Angela Merkel in Germany. Or, or that atheists are, are immoral and communists. Or that animals feel no pain. You know, these are all just bad ideas that we've debunked. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, this week we go deep and we go long. That's right. At a time when so many people are either energized or really concerned about a Trump presidency, our guest today wants us to look at the long sweep of history. So sometimes it's hard to believe, but the fact is that people have more rights, more freedom, better literacy, education, and prosperity than at any time in the past. We live longer, but our guest also argues that we have to keep fighting for this progress, that it isn't automatic, that superstition, bigotry, and religious extremism are always waiting, knocking at the door, trying to get in. Right, right. Our guest is author Michael Shermer, who's the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine and the author of, I think it's 12 books at at last count. And he's a columnist for Scientific American Magazine and really one of the country's leading advocates for science and rationality. Uh, Michael is joining us via Skype from Santa Barbara, California. Welcome, Michael Shermer. Oh, thanks for having me. So you say the world's getting better. We're more free. We're less likely to get murdered or die in a war. But looking at the news, sometimes that's kind of hard to believe. (laughs) Yes, that's right, because the, uh, the media's job is to report on bad things that happen. No one sends a camera crew to a country that is not undergoing a civil war or a coup uh, or, or having serious problems. You know, here we are standing in the square in town center and there's not a single rioter to be found. It's like, well, what are you doing there then? Yeah, I'm really uh, struck by that. That is such an important point. And it. And it- goes to the six o'clock news. I mean, for instance, recently, um, I cover news myself, and we talk a lot about the shootings of police officers or the shootings by police officers of young black men. And yet the number of shootings across the country overall is down in the past 10, 20 years. And yet that coverage is, we, we don't hear much about that. That's right. And, uh, and and that's true for almost all statistics, although um, 2015 saw a little 
bit of a blip upwards in some inner cities like Chicago in terms of the number of homicides and shootings. But the, the overall trend is down uh, since about 1993. It's been plummeting down. It's understandable why the media covers it. I mean, that is their job uh, and why people would be outraged. But the problem is our brains are are wired to focus on negatives um, because the world is a dangerous place. And the world we evolved in, there are so many more ways that things could go south fast that would take you out of the gene pool than that things could get better, uh, which you don't really notice. And bad is stronger than good. That's the title of a paper by Roy Baumeister, a psychologist. And he documents that across almost every domain you can think of, uh, bad triumphs over good. For example, we have more words to describe pain than we have to describe pleasure. And, you know, we're more focused on negative things that happen in our environment. And it, just think of like the weather. You know, we notice big catastrophic things like storms and earthquakes and hurricanes. But, you know, a thousand year trend toward global warming is really unnoticeable and it's hard to get people to care about it. And uh, because why? Why would I care? I mean, our, our minds evolved, you know, the savannas of Africa when, you know, next week is what counts, uh, not, you know, 100 years from now or, you know, rising sea levels, whatever, dude. I'm worried about dinner tonight. Michael, your latest book is called The Moral Arc. So what does that mean, The Moral Arc? The title of my book comes from Martin Luther King's uh, second most famous speech, How Long, Not Long, uh, which he gave at the climax of the famous march uh, from Selma to Montgomery uh, in 1965 for the Voting Rights Act to pass. And um, and there he asked, you know, how long will it be before we achieve this thing we're, we're aiming for? And he said, not long, because the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. You know, the, the idea is that there is a moral universe and there is an arc to it. So I, I have to deal with that question on a number of levels. First, is there really an arc to the moral universe? Is it really bending toward justice? Are things getting better? So I spend many chapters documenting that fact. And then I also have to defend the idea that there is a, a moral universe. That is, there is such a thing as right and wrong. And that, you know, to say things are getting better, by what criteria? What do you mean better? Who says they're better? And so I, I have to look into human nature for the answer in terms of, you know, most people separate scientific facts, facts about nature from moral facts. That is what is right and wrong. Most people separate those, including most scientists and, and humanists. Uh, so I'm pushing back against that, saying that, in fact, moral truths are really no different from, you know, biological or physical truths about nature. In fact, is, you, make can, a, you make a really interesting point, Michael. You talk about witchcraft. And today we look back at people who are burning witches and we say, well, they must have been such bad people. And you instead say, actually, they had bad ideas about how the world works. Yeah, I mean, what were they thinking? If we think back how people treated each other by today's standards, we, of course, would judge them as immoral. And that's true. But it doesn't get you into the mind of the perpetrators. These people are us. We didn't we haven't evolved to be a different species. So what what was going on in their minds? And I argue this is I call the witch theory of causality, that if you believe that uh, plagues and accidents and disasters and and contagions and diseases and, and all manner of, of bad things in your world are the result of women cavorting with demons in the middle of the night, then you're either insane or you live 500 years ago when almost everybody believed that. Now, there are other motives to the witch crazies, you know, get people's property or marginalize people you don't like. But, but for the most part, the underlying belief is that 
there are demons and women can fly around in the middle of the night on brooms and things like that. And so the, the solution was debunking of that, that women can't fly on brooms. There are no such thing as demons and diseases are caused by germs and bacteria and viruses. So what I'm arguing is that in the long run, it's science and reason debunking bad ideas. You know, Jews do not uh, poison wells. Blacks are not intellectually inferior. Women are not too weak-willed and emotional to run a country. Think of Angela Merkel in Germany. Or or that atheists are, are immoral and communists. Or that animals feel no pain. You know, these are all just bad ideas that we've debunked. So the debunking of that really was kick-started by the Enlightenment in the latter part of the 18th century, correct? Yep, that's that's my argument, is that, start, well, starting with the scientific revolution, the Enlightenment is the product of that. The idea that the world is governed by laws and principles we can discover. So just think, you know, Kepler and Galileo and Newton unifying all those into a theory that then trickles down into biology and medicine, people looking to be the Newton of their fields in, in the biological sciences. What are the underlying principles that govern a body or, or an ecology or, or a species? And, and then that trickles down into the social sciences. How do economies work? How, how do political systems work? How do legal systems work? Uh, think of Adam Smith's famous book, The Wealth of Nations. Most people think that's the title. That's actually not the title. The title of Adam Smith's book is An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations. So it's a scientific book. Like, what is wealth? Let's define it. Let's quantify it. Let's measure it. And, and that's true with the moral sciences, in a sense. You know, what, what factors make people feel more inclusive or less inclusive, uh, more willing to embrace people that are different from them. So are you saying that that science is the key, that if we all had a greater reverence for science and the scientific method, that we'd be better off, we'd have less superstition, less bigotry, and a greater sense of community and togetherness? (laughs) Yeah, in part, I'm saying that science and reason, too. I mean, philosophy is part of it. And we've been doing this for centuries. That is, even think of democracies as experiments. In a way, every election is like an experiment. Okay, let's tweak the variables and run it for a few years and see what happens. And then we'll throw the bums out and bring some new bums in and and, and tweak the variables in a different way and see what happens. And no one knows how to run a country. It's too complicated. It's too complex. And no one ever will be able to know how to run a country. So we have to have an open-ended system, which is what science is. Uh, changing, always looking for more feedback from people, uh, which is the best argument for free speech. You have to allow people to critique your ideas. It's the only way to find out if you're wrong. So we've made so much progress, and uh, you really do a nice job of documenting that, even though sometimes it's hard for us to, to believe it. And, but, and again, this is progress over two, three hundred years, not necessarily over the last five or ten right. years. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, these ideas, these, these enlightenment humanist ideals of, ra- of rationality and the scientific method and respect for the individual, they're always under attack, too, or free speech. You know, we see so much on college campuses today, people who seem to be really afraid of allowing views to be spoken that they don't approve of. And there's this, there's this constant counter movement, a, a, a backlash against these ideas. And where do you see that going on today? Uh, I'm worried about that a little bit as a, as a something of a setback, and you know it's involved with with more collectivist identity politics, groupthink, um, and understandably, people are looking for more moral progress and the protection of minorities who have been in the past historically suppressed and their freedoms 
not not gained as, as rapidly as other groups. And and so that's all totally understandable. You know, we've seen a lot of change, but there's more change to go. But the problem with identity politics and, 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 and looking at individuals as members of a group, uh, whether it's a racial group, a gender group or, or some other uh, identity politics, is that 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 retrains the brain to think of people as as members of groups rather than individuals. And and I argue that it's the individual that counts in terms of voting and suffering and and being prosperous or autonomous or free. It's the individual brain that experiences well-being. So we have to think of individuals that way. And in a way, you get what we've just had with the election is pushback. You know, if you, if you identify people by groups uh, and play identity politics for racial minorities, then then the other group is going to push back. They're going to say, OK, if, if you're grouping people by color, well, we're white and we're going to we're going to regroup and push back. And then, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, you know, that's not good. Stop that. I claim I say stop. <laughs> stop identity politics altogether and just think of people as people, as individuals, not as members of a group. And we've come so far to, to get to the place where we can see people as individuals. But there's one area that I see a not just a political backlash against these Enlightenment values, but an, an actual academic effort to dismantle the notion that science works or that it reaches something valid. And I have to say, I'm not on the same page as Jim on this. I went to university at a time when Marxism was absolutely at its zenith, at its height in Britain. And most of us emerged fine, thank you very much. I mean, I kind of like the idea of universities playing with crazy ideas even if they're things I completely disagree with. So I'm not nearly as troubled by this as Jim. So am I right or is Jim right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's one way to put it here. Um, well, uh, college students do grow up and probably you're right. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's not an existential threat. In any case, I, I suspect scientists that are actually doing science, they're not affected by any of this anyway. And now some of these attacks on science happen in this world of pure academia, but they also can happen in the world where science really affects people's lives, like the anti-vaccine movement. And, and the argument against climate change, too where you have virtual unanimity among climate scientists, that there is a causal link, and yet in the political sphere, at least in this country, that's denied by so many people, including our president-elect. That, that, that's right. The, uh, the idea that science doesn't have special access to the way the world works can easily lead people to make the argument for whatever it is, creationism or anti-vaccination or, or no global warming. Uh, yes, that, but that's, of course, that's not what what's driving their motives. That, that's just an excuse or an argument that they make that science doesn't have privileged truths. What's really driving it is, is their religion or politics. Creationists don't really care about DNA or fossils. They care that a Darwinian worldview will lead to a materialistic worldview, which will lead to an amoral uh, worldview that leads to the demise of America, <laughs> something like that. Uh, you know, climate deniers, they don't really care about parts per million of, of CO2 gases or, or tree rings or ice core data. That What they care about is that uh, there might be a curtailment of industry laws that restrict the growth of the economy. And, 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 and therefore, this is an attack on capitalism and free market enterprise. And, you know, it's really it's really an economic ideology that they're focused on. And, you know, the anti-vaxxers think that big pharma and, and money uh, influence medicine and, and there's corruption there or, um, you know, what's what are some of the other examples? You know, just, uh, just gun control people. You know, they, they don't care about data about violence or homicides or suicides or whatever. You know, for them, the Second Amendment represents freedom and autonomy, not not guns. 
This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest is Michael Shermer, and we're going to be dealing with solutions. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After this. So, Michael, your book is about the way that science and rationality has led the world to be a place that people can pursue happier, freer, healthier lives. And yet there is constantly this counter movement against that. How do we fight back to make sure that these great enlightenment values don't get lost? We don't go back to some kind of dark age. <laughs> right. Well, we're doing it. We're uh, you know, making it part of the public conversation that science and reason are not the enemy. They are the friends of freedom and liberty and prosperity and autonomy and so-called American values that the right and conservatives cherish. We're on that side. And so the, the first step is to try to show people that scientific facts um, are not a threat to your worldview. Um, when you engage with people, you can't attack them. You can't not only no ad hominem, but I, as I like to say, no ad Hitlerum either. Quit <laughs> calling people Hitler. This seems to be a cherished American phenomenon where, you know, within how many minutes go by in a debate before the name Hitler comes up? Stop that. <laughs> what are some lessons where we can see improvements in morality? Um, well, I have a whole chapter on the justice system. I think the the retributive justice system we've had for centuries, which has been modified a lot, like torture, the death penalty. America is the last country to have the death penalty. And really, it, 31 of our 50 states allow it. Only four practice it with any regularity, Texas being the most prominent one. But that's going the, the way of the, you know, the medieval torture instruments. And we're moving more toward um, restorative justice. That is, the harm to the victim needs to be restored. And, and then also, what about the perpetrators? You know, lock them up and you know, hang them all and let God sort it out, as the country western song says. Well, uh, that's not good for society. We need to get these guys out of jail, back into the working population. And as, you say in your book one way to do that is to really emphasize education in prison, that there's been research that shows that prisoners who get a college degree are much less likely to commit crime after they come out of jail. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, education is a big thing, teaching people how to think critically, how to use reason and logic. Just it's it's a way of training the brain to control your impulses. So you're saying and, that, that an individual through the process of education can recapitulate the same thing you believe our society has gone through by being more focused on rationality, on using facts, reason, logic to make decisions that individuals can also wind up making better decisions. Exactly. So I think we've been doing this for centuries. Stephen Pinker in his great book, Better Angels of Our Nature, resurrects a theory 
uh, from a, a sociologist named uh, Norbert Elias called The Civilizing Process, in which he argues, starting in the late Middle Ages, uh, people started learning to control their impulses. Just books of manners and etiquette are ways of telling people, stop acting on your impulses and gain control of them, and, and society will be better off. And that started with the aristocrats and trickled down to the masses and we, we've all become more civilized over the centuries, and the way that's good is that controls your impulse to, say, act out and respond violently. Because most violence, most homicides, 90% of homicides, for example, are moralistic in nature. You know, the perpetrator acts like the judge, jury, and executioner of the person they think deserves to die. Very few homicides are instrumental in nature, like I killed him so I could get his watch or his car. Most of it is I killed him because, you know, he deserved it. He, he slept with my woman. He, he stole my uh, money. He cheated in cards. He scratched my car. He took my parking spot. You know, th th this, th th these are the reasons people commit homicides. It, it's an impulse that lasts, you know, five seconds, and then they spend the next 30 years in jail that we pay for. Uh, you know, another argument for getting these guys out of jail. It's expensive. You know, my wife's from Germany and Germany has a, a really sophisticated restorative justice program. They not only they restore the harm to the victims, but also they got They get these these guys live in apartments. They take college courses. They learn to become productive citizens and they get them out of there and back into society working. And that's good for everybody. Good for them. Good for us. And, and that's where we need to go. And with that solution, Michael Shermer, thanks very much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much, Michael. Oh, you're welcome. It's great. Great to be on your podcast. The point that Michael Shermer makes that I find so fascinating is that we tend to think of moral progress as an effort of will. He says so much moral progress comes from better knowledge. So ideas like racism or bias against people who aren't like us, as we learn through science that people really are very much alike, those moral failures begin to fade. And we look at people from different countries, from different ethnic backgrounds, different gender, as more like us rather than being completely different. Right. So we expand the sphere of our consideration of our protection, even now to animals in some cases. And all, he, he, he says we should measure moral progress by how good a job we do protecting and enabling the lives of sentient beings. So obviously that mostly means people, but it also means to some extent taking good care of the animals in the environment. Uh, sentient beings being any being that feels pain, that... Uh, and has uh, some degree of self-awareness. Uh, and I think that is a really wonderful way to measure moral progress because it just means any being in the world that can experience either happiness or suffering and oppression. In his writing, Michael also makes a very powerful case for science and reason being the foundations of morality. Yes, isn't that Much fascinating? Much more so than, say, religion or a simple belief in our group being better from another group. Yeah, and this is something that other, other rationalists like Sam Harris have also argued is in the words of philosophers, can you derive an ought from an is? Can you say how things ought to be from studying the way they are? And it was so interesting. He went back to Adam Smith, really the father of economics, and made that point that he wasn't 
describing capitalism as a system to be imposed on people. He was looking at how the world worked. Well, explain that to me, that ought versus is, because I, I, that kind of went over my head. I didn't yeah, quite so get that. Yeah, so the challenge here is if you're trying to come up with a moral view of the world, you might think that looking at the world in terms of science, all you can do is just describe the facts. You can't describe how we should act. All you can do is say, here are the facts in the world. What these philosophers argue is that you can look at the world and see which social conditions, which types of behavior help make people freer, happier, wealthier, all the things that go together to make a good life. And once you see what those things are, those are the things we should do. But a more scientific worldview that all humans are individuals, all humans feel the same emotions, have the same capacities, that's part of what helped make the case for outlawing slavery and for so many other ways that we've made moral progress. See, that's where I think his argument goes too far. I think we all need to identify ourselves, not just solely as individuals, but also as members of groups. I'm fine with being American. I, I love this country. I'm fine with being a Christian. I, I'm a liberal Christian. I'm, I'm, I've learned a great deal about morality and about support and love for other people through reading religious texts. So I don't see it solely as we're individuals and that only science should be regarded as the teller of moral impulses. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure that he would disagree with that. He was talking about how in the Middle Ages, people began to really focus on coming up with some advice for how, how people could live better lives, controlling their urges. Well, that also goes all the way back to uh, you know the Ten Commandments. And, and all great religions have a lot of edicts about living your life in a way that is that does not damage other people, do unto others. And so I, I believe that there's a lot of commonality here between the morality of religion and that that we can derive through a more purely rational approach. I don't have a problem with people digging into their religious sense or their religious beliefs to encourage better better behavior. But at the same time, I think it's fascinating how much moral progress and progress in living better we've made through the scientific method, through this wonderful revolution that happened in the Enlightenment that allowed us to figure out how to break down problems, get rid of dogma, to study you know, everything, medicine, economics, everything that goes into modern life comes out of this rational inquiry. And I think we often take for granted the blessings that we've, we've derived from that. I think you put that really well. Our show is How Do We Fix It? And this has certainly not been a show about a laundry list of ideas on how to fix a certain problem. But sometimes we need to take a big step back, go deeper, and think of how we're living our lives today compared with hundreds of years ago. And that's yes. what we've been struggling yes. or, or attempting to do and, with this show. Right. And if there is a solution here, the solution is, I think, to remember the importance of our intellectual legacy and not to denigrate it. It's too easy sometimes to denigrate these ideas of a bunch of old dead white males. But in fact, these are the ideas that change the world for everybody around the world. If you want to find out more, we'll have links to Michael's books at our website. Also, Steven Pinker, who he referred to, uh, we'll, we'll link with that as well. So go to the website, howdowefixit.me, to find out more information if, you, if you're still interested in this subject. This is How Do We Fix It. I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and the music's by Lou Stravinsky. We're produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.